Hello, and my name is Pete Rushmer, and I'm your host today of A Half Dozen Things podcast. A Half Dozen Things is a podcast for business owners just like you. Whether you're an underdog hungry for success, or you're already smashing it, but want to continue to level up, we are here each week for you to get insight and learning from the very best in the business. No fluff, no BS, and no self-proclaimed gurus talking about how easy business or life is. There we go, so the red light's rolling. Steve Granite, pleasure to have you on the podcast. How are you today, mate? I'm very good, Pete. Very good, thank you. Fantastic. And uh, Steve, you uh, head up Abbey Logistics? Yeah, I'm the chairman at Abbey Logistics, um, former CEO until recently. Fantastic. And um, obviously also involved with uh, Generation Logistics as well? Yes, yeah. Brilliant, brilliant, fantastic. So it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. For for those listening and have been fans of the podcast for a little while, um, those those people out there, um, I've been trying to get hold of Steve for a little while on the podcast. Uh, he was recommended to me by uh, Beverly Bell, uh, who was a fantastic guest uh, probably a year and a bit ago. And she uh, she recommended Steve and I have a good chat on the podcast. And uh, so here we are. And uh, Steve, obviously you're a busy guy, so that's... Uh, that's great. And then um, are you able to just tell tell the listeners a bit more about sort of who you are, what you do and sort of your background in the industry, if that's OK? Yeah. So um, as I say, I'm, I'm exec chairman of Abbey Logistics. So Abbey Logistics is the UK's largest food tanker uh, transportation company. I've been with the business since 1995. Um, so I joined when I was 15, straight from school. Um, I done an apprenticeship with Abby back in the day. Worked in various different um, parts of the business, from finance to operations, transport planning, in the workshop, everything. Went out with a driver, and then I settled in in finance. Um, worked my way up through the business. Um, originally as a management accountant, took over as finance director in two thousand and four. And then later became managing director 2009, I think it was, and then CEO in 2016. So I've been with the business a long time. Um, yeah, and, and now I'm, I'm, I'm part-time with Abby as a, a chairman. Fantastic. And um, so what, what do you do sort of the rest of the time, Steve, if that's okay? What, sort of, what are you doing in your spare time? Uh, I'm chief operating officer for a sports nutrition uh, brand. Fantastic. That sounds... Uh... Sounds a bit different. Is that something you've been involved in for a while? It was 2020. I started getting involved. And then as um as Abbey, it's it's a well mature company. Um so we started a bit of succession planning by bringing in a new managing director, um, David Patton. So he, he joined us good four years ago now as an ops director. And it was kind of like just preparing him to take over as managing director, which we did in Eight months ago, yeah, so we've been having like a bit of a dual role of CEO and an MD. Um, whilst I transferred more of my time into applied nutrition because that business is very, very fast growing. Um, yeah, and it's been it's been good. It's totally different, but it's nice to have still a heavy involvement in Abbey and be able to steer the board. Uh, yeah, fantastic. On and to give give uh, listeners an idea of the size of Abbey, is the as the biggest food tanker business in the business in in the industry, 
how many how many assets is that? What sort of what sort of how many assets and drivers is that? We, we run on, we run approximately three hundred and fifty tractor units, about five hundred and fifty uh, tankers, and wow. we employ around five hundred and fifty people. Yeah. Turnover this year we're expecting. Last year's reported accounts were just short of sixty eight million. We think this year it'd be somewhere between seventy two to seventy five million. Um, so it's quite a big operation. We run out of twelve depots in the UK, and we also transport. Um, food products from Europe into the UK and from the UK back into Europe as well, which is a small but growing part of the company. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's not it's not on a regular occurrence for me to be driving. I tend to, being in Peterborough, I'm up and down the A1 all the time, and it's very rare occurrence that I don't bump into, not physically bump into, but see an Abbey, an Abbey tanker at some point on that journey. Yeah, I it's, think once, uh, you, once you've seen one and you recognise it, then you see them more. Yeah, and there's... Yeah. I always say to people as well, there's, we've probably got a third of our fleet, which isn't actually in Abbey's colours. Oh, so really? You'll, you'll see lots of British sugar tankers, you'll see lots of Hovis tankers, um, Tata Chemicals, British Salt, which are all Abbey-owned assets in uh, in the customer colours. Well, that's, uh, that's incredible, actually. I didn't know that. That's very interesting. Yeah. So one of the questions that I've been gagging to ask then is obviously Beverly recommended me have a chat with you. How do you know Beverly? Obviously, it must not be from being on the wrong side of the bench, wrong side of the bar from her. Do you know what? The first time I met Beverly, uh, I don't know what the year was, but it was, I think it was a CILT event. Um, Beverly and, and I were both part of a um, a panel, panel discussion. Okay. So... Um, we both done the panel discussion and then in the night we, we were on the same table and we just hit it off. She, she's uh, absolutely brilliant. It was when she was senior traffic commission as well, so I was absolutely petrified sat, sat next to her, um, worrying, and then she was just so down to earth. And, you know, even though she held such a senior and, and serious position, she was a very um, friendly person in terms of, like, you know, you can you can engage with her and she she can talk to her um on, on, on any level. So it was great. And we, we hit it off and then she she really liked what I was doing and what Think Logistics was doing with um trying to attract more young people into the sector. And we just we just worked together with um trying to bring in more young people. So yeah, that's how we I first met Beverly. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, no, she um, she was, I was really pleased when she agreed to come on the podcast. And uh, I think it's one of the one of the more popular podcasts that I've, I've put out. There's a lot of people that are tuned in and listened. And it was quite, it was quite divisive when it went out as well, because there was a lot of people who obviously had a preconceived idea of who and what Beverly Bell would be like. And yeah. um, there's many people who were nicely, pleasantly surprised. And um, there, obviously, there were, there were some people sort of who had a chanter about some of the things that would have happened um, as a traffic commissioner, but I guess that's just sort of that comes is that's part of the collateral damage of being in a position of that level of authority. There's going to be exactly there's going there's going to be people who are going to um, you know uh, not not approve, but that's uh, that's absolutely fine by me. So the thing, um, the thing with Beverly, I think, is um, I, I mean I think she's done a, a great job as senior traffic commissioner, but she's got a great heart and she loves the industry, and yeah. I, I've seen that firsthand. So. Um, and she's very entertaining. 
which is uh, when when I've been to seminars before and there's lots of speakers and you, you kind of mentally switching off and then next minute you hear Beverly's voice and all of a sudden your brain just automatically switches back on because you're interested to see what what she's going to say next. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, so um, you kindly prepared six key things that you're most passionate about in the sector. And for listeners, just so they're prepared, we're going to be talking about bringing in young people to the industry, how we change the image of the sector, talking a bit about greener transport solutions, driver retention, technology, and uh, collaboration of hauliers as well, which I think are all going to be really sort of uh, insightful to talk about. Are we able to just initially, let's start to look at bringing in young people because you're doing some work with uh, Generation Logistics. Yeah, well, sort of tell us a bit more about that, please, Steve. Yeah, well, it actually, it actually goes back a lot further. Um, so in 20, well, it probably goes back to when I first joined Abbey, really, because the owner of the business um, back then was the, the Lucy family. And they were they were from the local area where where I'm from in Kirby, in Liverpool, and they went back to their old school and said we want to take on uh, two young people to become the you know the future of the business. And at the time, Abby only had probably forty trucks, thirty right. trucks. So you know it was quite forward thinking for uh, Steve and his brothers to to do at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was myself and a guy called Paul Avery who who was selected and we we joined the company. So Paul is still there and I was head of the bulk powder business and obviously I'm, I'm chairman. So because that was really good for us personally, when I took over as managing director, it's about 2012, we've done the same thing. So we went back to the same school. We said we want to take on two young people. Um, we employed a young accountant called Luke and a guy who now is um, one of our senior planners still in the business and we, we replicated what we did but this time I was talking to Steve Hobson from Motor Transport and I was telling him what we were doing and he said this is this is brilliant do you mind if we come along and cover it off you know as a, as a story so Motor Transport kindly came along um, we went into the school we delivered a workshop on what is logistics and it was that that session that I think logistics was born because we had about 50 kids in the in the session and the first question I asked them, and I, and I honestly didn't expect this response, I said, who knows what logistics is? And it was just an icebreaker question for me. I wasn't expecting one hand to be put up. I just expected everybody to know what logistics was. And we just get the conversation going. So I was thinking, this isn't going right here. No one knows what logistics is. And I've got about 50 slides to present. So um, I told them what logistics was and I said, has anybody ever considered a career in transport, logistics, what I've just explained, and nobody put their hands up. So wow. I was really thinking this is going bad here. Um, so anyway, we went we went through the session, um, told them all about the great opportunities, told them about Abby, told them about my own journey. And at the end of it, we said, we've got these opportunities. Would anybody like to be interviewed? And honestly, we, we must have had 30 out of the 50 people wanting to be interviewed. Oh, really um, and what it what it really taught us then was that you know why when we think about why we're not attracting young people it was because people don't understand what logistics even is to start with no. you know no. so there was a massive piece around educating young people and attracting them into the sector so i spoke to steve Hobson about it and i was like we need to get the industry together and this we need to do something about it because this is a major problem 
Mm. And from there, I think logistics was born. So we um about 30 haulers signed up. Um and the plan was to, you know, nationally go into schools and colleges and deliver that same workshop and hopefully create opportunities for people to do work experience, paid work experience, or uh, be recruited. And that, that went on for until last year. Um sorry, earlier this year. And what happened was it, it was always funded by the likes of RB, the RHA, Daft Trucks. It was it was funded from sector just to pay the wages of someone to coordinate it. But we knew yeah. it, it needed to be a lot bigger. So um Generation Logistics is a partly government funded initiative. The government okay. have put in I think it's a quarter of a million pounds per year for for a few years, but the sector's raised more than double that. Um and it's all about it's a it's mainly a social media campaign aimed at attracting more young people into the sector, educating them on what logistics is, and and trying to change the perception from you know it's old grubby trucks to what is it's a now it's a much more high tech uh, sector. So that that's where kind of generation logistics was was born from. Fantastic, fantastic, and how. And how long? How long has Generation Logistics been going, Steve? How long? How long has it been running now? It was set up this year. I mean, I'm not a uh, founder of it, so Generation Logistics is more of a um, the trade associations who have lobbied governments. Um, right. Governments have, I think, off the back of the driver shortage, they've said, okay, we need to do something here to try and attract more more people and young people into the sector. Mm-hmm. So it's aimed at 16 to 24 year olds predominantly. Um, but it's it's been going since early early 2022, so it's in its early infancy. Um, the steering group meetings have started to happen. Um, Abby Abby had a, a silver sponsor. Fantastic. I think um, I think it's 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 absolutely vital. I um, just to sort of share a bit of my experience. I've not had the level of experience you've had with this, but my daughter um, is 16. She's just done her GCSEs and she's in her first year of A levels. Smart. Obviously, she's done really, really well in her exams and she wants to be a doctor. But it's shocking. I find it shocking that she's a, a relatively decent, just standard sort of state school, but she's had no careers guidance whatsoever. No yeah. careers advice, no no support, no nothing. She's researched everything herself. And luckily, you know, she's quite motivated. She enjoys learning. She's done really well. You know, she, like I say, the, ch- the challenge she's got is that actually she's very, very capable, but actually there's like eight applicants for every doctor's job, which I find absolutely baffling. The, the well, country there's short, there's a shortage of doctors and yet they're turning seven out of every eight applicants yeah. for a doctor's role away because they can't train them. I, I find that exactly. I find that absolutely baffling. Um, but none, nonetheless, I've um, off the back of that, that motivated me. I've, I've got involved with this enterprise advisors role. So one of the local colleges... I, go, I kind of go in and um, just help with like the careers program in there because it's yeah. so low down their priority list because the curriculum Absolutely. is just geared up to getting exam results. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's genuinely like, and it, it frightens the hell out of me. The largest majority of the teachers in the school really couldn't give a flying what's it about what happens to that child when they leave the school. It's all about them getting an exam result. Absolutely, and that, that's, that's where it finishes. I mean, they, they did bring in the legislation, didn't they, where it was they had to um, have some form of careers advice and work experience and stuff, which which has forced some schools to engage more with employers. Um, but you bang on, right? It's 
you know, if you speak to a teacher about logistics, they know nothing about it. And if you speak to a, a student to say what career advice you're getting, there's no career advice in schools anymore. Uh, no, it's, it's frightening. And I think I think a lot of the teachers are what I call, and I, I say this to the lady who's my contact at the school I go into, but I say the issue you've got is you've got career teachers. So they've they've been through education themselves, done university, done teacher yeah. training, went back into teaching. They've ne- they've never known yeah, any difference. They wouldn't know. They wouldn't know one what one whether it was our industry or automotive or you know any sort of sector. They've no real yeah. work experience themselves. Exactly. So they're, they're, I think I think I think Generation Logistics sounds like a great shout because I just think you know we we need to be raising aspirations and awareness for yeah. for young people, don't we? This is it. I'm just changing the perception of logistics, which I think mm. Generation Logistics is starting to do a good job on that. Because when when we started Think Logistics, it was it was twofold really. It was number one was the industry needed more young people, but we targeted underprivileged areas because what one of our focuses was on as well was, you know, there's re- some really talented kids who mm-hmm. come from you know care clusters and underprivileged underprivileged area. So you got really strong talent, but mm-hmm. their parents might not be working, and mm-hmm. therefore. You know they, they've got no careers uh, advice they can give to the young people and they don't have a network of people who work in businesses where they can get opportunities so it was trying to connect a sector that needed young people with communities that had really talented kids who didn't have the business network but they had the motivation and, and the, the skill and that that's what we originally aimed at um so when you, you talk about like the lack of careers advice in schools we, we witnessed it firsthand it, and then when they've got no crazy advice coming from the parents either, you know, that's just lost talent. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely is. And the, the, the prospects are, it, it's almost heartbreaking, isn't it? A little bit when you think about it, because you, you can't get to every kid either, can no, you? No, you can't. Like, and, and the danger is if they don't if they don't find their way into employment, you know, that they, they drift into, into other things. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's frightening. Um, okay, so just from a, a, an awareness point of view, I suppose, and hopefully this will become a good asset for us to point people towards when, you know, if they're, if they're thinking about coming into a career in logistics in the future, what what sort of, uh, Abbey in particular, okay, large, large, um, large logistics company, I bet there's a range of different apprenticeships that you offer or entries into business doing different types of roles, I suppose. Yeah, so we, we, we've got a number of apprentices across our company, which can be from people in the finance team, uh, planning team. We've got uh, apprentice mechanics, mm-hmm. um, apprentice customer service advisors. And obviously, we're, we're, we're big advocates of the, um, you know, bringing people through who have just passed the test and actually putting them into a, an Abbey driving school where we give them extra support because... We're not going to be one of them companies who says we will only employ people with X number of experience because that's why we can't attract enough drivers into the sector. So we're not going to complain about the problem but not be part of the solution. So we've said even though we don't have to employ people with no experience because we can attract better experienced drivers, we want to be part of the solution. Therefore, we're willing to take on a number of drivers each year straight from the boot camps. Um, okay. and make them work. Otherwise, you know, we're just going to keep complaining about the same problem over and over again. Yeah, so absolutely. Apprenticeships in logistics, I, I always say, like, you're better thinking of what job you want to do and then do it in logistics because, you know, anything from legal, marketing, HR, 
driving, forklift trucks, finance, every job you could possibly do, you can do in logistics. Yeah, it's such a broad, it's such a broad, broad industry, isn't it? We do, we yeah. do employ everything. Yeah, there's not many kids coming out of school going, oh, I want to be a safety professional, but we need safety people. <laughs> <laughs> One of um, Carl, uh, I was at a, you were mentioned earlier talking about a Chartered Institute event for uh, for Silt, and I was at the safety forum a couple of weeks ago, and Carl Wilshaw, who's the fleet director at Travis Perkins, he shared a really interesting statistic around the shortage of mechanics and fitters i think yeah. we've got a really big issue coming our way with that and i um I, so my background i used to i used to i don't know if i'm swearing at you now because i think you've got a relationship with daft trucks over there at abbey but um i used to work for volvo trucks back in the yeah. day and um i was speaking to i probably shouldn't really say but one of their franchisees and he said the manufacturers a lot of them all, all they're really looking at is alternative fuels, which is great, and we need to look at alternative fuels. But there's a massive shortage of technicians, a massive, massive shortage of technicians, and it's like no one's really listening. It's kind yeah. of falling on dead ears at the minute. And I think, you know, we've had a couple of years of COVID and not enough apprentices coming through and all that sort of, we've kind of got this perfect storm. And it's, uh, I think... I, I, I think agree entirely with that. Hi, it's Pete from Flagship Partners. We're proud to sponsor a Half Dozen Things podcast. Flagship Partners help their clients become safer, greener and greater through a range of consultancy and training services. We offer audits through to risk assessments, contracts through to support with managing your culture, all the way from mandatory training through to management training as well. So if you need any support, please do get in touch with Flagship Partners today. I think... You know, it's. Um, it, I think it's replaced potentially the driver. I'm not saying the driver issue's over, but I think we're doing a lot of stuff now to deal with that. But I feel like we need to now look at the technician shortage and deal with deal with that. I think that's yeah. becoming a really pressing issue about roadworthiness of vehicles. Yeah, and that, that's what generalist logistics looks like. It's not this for certain. Is not just a driver a driver issue. Generalist logistics is about promoting the wide range of. Uh, positions available including engineers and mechanics uh, so yeah hopefully Fantastic. yeah i mean it's a it's a long it's a long game strategy it's not one where you say you know how many did it recruit this year it's a, it's a change in the image and the perceptions it takes a long time i was gonna say that's a nice little segue into the second one which is around changing the image of the sector so tell me a bit about sort of what what you see the image of the sector is currently and and sort of what what we can do to improve it i suppose um i think i think beverly bell described it the, probably the best i've ever heard someone describe it which was and i probably missed missed something else here but she said uh pale male style, style. yeah and that's yeah. just that's what people think of it they, they think it's like you know oh scruffy drivers in dirty trucks that are just polluting the, the environment um where we all know people in the sector we know it's not it's, it's actually quite a high-tech industry don't get me wrong there's there's elements of the industry that are like that mm-hmm. um but the vast majority you know if you think of some of the big the big 3pls the ro- robots they use and some of the technology you know in logistics is just it's way mm-hmm. it's way ahead of most other industries and I don't think we do enough to promote that side of what logistics is. If you, if you look at what's, um, what's coming up in terms of alternative fuels and electrification, 
the sector is going to go through a, a, an, another revolution and mm -hmm. that is a prime opportunity for it to, to reinvent it so i think you're absolutely right yeah yeah, absolutely. Yeah, stale, stale, pale, and mayo. I remember, I remember that. I remember yeah, that saying awesome. that. Yeah, it, and it is. And to an extent, I think, I think it's things are in, things are definitely improving, and I think we need to work hard to continue to improve them, don't we? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, so we we sort of touched on that there about sort of greener transport solutions. So, um, are you able to just sort of you know? Are you guys are you guys at Abbey getting involved? Do you trying in, you know, alternative fuels? How's that looking for you? Yeah, so we're looking at I think from our point of view, we look at you know, we we're running all forty-four ton ton vehicles, so we're we're kind of you could say okay till twenty forty. Mm -hmm. Um, but we're not taking that view on it. So our slogan is on the road to green the future. Um and that's because we we genuinely want to drive down carbon emissions. We're, okay. we're majority owned by private equity company who have um, part of their big value is on ESG, you know, and it's not just a box ticket, it's, it's a genuine, right, what is our carbon now we're going to reduce it. So we're working hard to look at alternative fuels. Um, we just had a, we had a strategy day yesterday where we set out our plan for carbon, quite an aggressive carbon reduction plan. Um, I can't go into the details of what we're going to do, but it, but what we will look to do is to switch elements of our fleet to an alternative fuel starting from next year. And we've got some percentage targets. Um, the restricting factor is going to be, will customers pay the premium? Mm -hmm. And will we have the infrastructure in the right place for it to roll out at the pace we want to roll out at? And what we're considering doing, we're talking to some of the big alternative fuel providers at the moment. Um, obviously, we have 13 depots in the UK, but what we may look to do is to see how we can work with other people to try and build up a network of um, these alternative fuel refueling stations and just have a bit of collaboration, you know? Yeah. Okay. I think um, that sounds that sounds like a good, a good thing. And obviously, we're going to talk about i suppose now is probably a good time to talk about collaboration of all years then because it kind of leads leads into it so um i know at the time when i was with volvo we were starting to look at various um you know gases and, and that kind of thing and i think the, the 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 issue we've come up against like obviously from a 44 ton point of view electric's a bit of a challenge isn't it so and obviously the range is a challenge so we need to we need to look at various gas options and and hybrid fuel type um solutions which some of you know there's, there's been variations of these out and about for a little while now but ultimately the challenge is the infrastructure to be able to support it at a great depth what what does what needs to happen um i suppose what when you talk about this at board level what what needs to happen from an infrastructure point of view um for us to be able to be able to support sort of bigger fleets with with uh, alternative fuel options but the, the it, you go around in a circle every time you, you start to look at alternative fuel. So everyone, or not everyone, but a big majority of haulers have a good intention to say, let's let's look at alternative fuels. Mm -hmm. We've done it a number of times in Abbey and said, right, let, let's kick starter off and let's look at this um, contract to start it on. But you always come back to two things, either the cost of prohibitive or the infrastructure isn't there. 
the problem you've got as well is there's too many options at the moment. If you can go CNG, LPG, HVO, electric, and no one yet is putting the chips on anyone in a, any one of those bets in a big way. Enough yeah. for people to say, right, I'm going to go this way. So we we were speaking about doesn't need government in, intervention where they say, OK, we're going to go up with a network of whatever alternative fuel to give people a chance to start doing it. But they're not going to do that. It's, it's going to be a, a market driven mm. decision. So where we've got to now is to say, OK, we the, the alternative fuel we've identified, we think we've got a good source of it, good supply of it. Our vehicles will will work on this um, this alternative fuel quite easy. The cost is more to, to per, per litre. Um, so our, our approach is this. It's going to be, we're going to commit a percentage of the fleet, regardless of who, if someone pays for it. We're then going to be speaking to customers to say, OK, you, you now have an option. Uh, we believe, you know, we run 50 trucks for you. Looking at your routes, we reckon we could put 25 trucks on within 12 months on this alternative fuel. The cost is going to be X. You know, uh, uh, you're buying into this, but it's a 90% reduction in carbon emission. So we believe our customer base, which is predominantly global food companies, a high percentage of those people will, will want to invest in that carbon reduction. Yeah. And we're going to contribute towards it. So that's great on a smaller scale. And what we want to try and do is dot them around little opportunities around the country where we'll invest in the tanks, we'll, you know, in the, in the fuel tanks, we'll get the supply set up, we'll operationally execute it. Then it's a case of joining the dots. So how do I join the dots so that I can say, right, now I can switch my whole fleet because it's a network fleet onto this alternative fuel. And I think the only way of doing that, because I don't have enough depots around the UK, is to collaborate with other haulies. So we are considering now trying to go out to the sector. You know, we need to do a lot of work with the fuel supplier to say who would be interested in developing this network of, of this particular type of alternative fuel. You know, this is the cost. These are the benefits reduction wise. Um, these are the depots we're bringing to the table. This is what already exists as a network through fuel providers. These are the gaps, you know, and target areas of the country where we know hauliers operate and try and collaborate with with uh, three or four other big hauliers and build a network. Yeah, got you. Strategic No one's, you know, and there's lots of people like CNG I've seen having a good go at it, but it's, it's all right if you're running your trucks from one depot and then you go back every day. If you run a network, it's just, it's just not viable. Yeah, I understand. It's, um, it becomes very complex, doesn't it? It's very, very complex when it comes to refueling and ensuring yeah. that you're in the right place with the right range. And um, yeah, because the, the last thing that, that's going to add even more cost, isn't it? Is if you're having to divert and route divert it, and things yeah. like that. Yeah. You know? And even if you know the, the fuel we're looking at, it's it's the same as a as a diesel fuel tank. So it's not like you know massive new technology. But if people, I think, are looking at like CNG as an example, you know, if enough big hauliers got together and approached a fuel provider to say, look, this is our demand for CNG, these are our locations we needed. And I think that could get someone off the fence and start to invest in a national network if they had that support from big hauliers. Yeah, I think it's I think it, it's going to have to come sooner or later, but I appreciate what you're saying. It's, it's a bit of a dance at the moment, isn't it? It's a little bit of a dance. 
totally. But then there's not for me. It's an opportunity because for the hauliers that do make it work, these these big big corporates who do care about carbon emissions, you know, they, they'll they'll steal a march on the ones who who don't think think ahead. Yeah, we're 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 running a, into. I think so. The 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 news is painting the economy as a bit of doom and gloom, but I think we're approaching quite an interesting time to be around because I think that the economy is going to have to change where we see the cost of consumer goods increase because and we we need to take into account you know that we can't we've for, for years and years now we've been running on like buy the cheapest thing ease accessibility go on Amazon you can have you know you type one one item in and you've got a range of different stuff to pick from and i think we've got we've got to start to evolve to be a lot greener in how we choose stuff we might have less you know more of a limitation on the different options yeah. that we've got when we buy stuff and pay and and have a move towards quality you yeah. know have a move towards quality and utility in the products that we're using and buying and and pay better money for it but look after it in a better way and that, yeah, that's going agreed. to improve the environment as well isn't it yeah definitely so yeah fantastic okay bro so um the next thing the, the the fourth thing that we were going to talk about was around uh driver retention so um obviously that's uh a bit of a challenge and I, I work with a lot of the smaller hauliers much much smaller than yourselves and i think it's um it's a big challenge getting drivers engaged in a business and um, a lot of hauliers will just, you know, they've got their strategies. It might be by having the best shiniest trucks or it might be, you know, they, they try and pay the best money, but I think there's got to be a bit of a more holistic approach and it'll be interesting to sort of see what, what your insights are. Cause there's a bigger, bigger organization you must be attracting, you know, as a, as a sort of thoughtful, thoughtful, industry leader you're attracting people to come and come and join the business do you start to measure things like how a lot churn rate of drivers and that kind of thing like, yeah sort of yeah so obviously last year was a just a disaster in terms of the driver market because you know the, the shortage i think which was exasperated by people moving business you know and that, that created what felt like a bigger driver shortage when it wasn't it was just a lot of people were changing jobs and moving um but probably the best thing that happened to the sector for me because it number one it made customers realize just how important well-resourced hauliers are to their business second thing was it made government listen because you know you were seeing some crucial like foods and medicines not on the shelves made them realize how important it was and thirdly drivers got a pay increase that they deserved um which will long-term help hauliers because it won't be such a battle to get drivers. And I do think things like the um, the boot camps are helping. You know, we we now at the moment, for the first time, probably five years, have, have switched off recruitment and there's a waiting list to join. Now, that just was never the case. So, uh, yeah. you know, don't get me wrong, we, we, we lose too many drivers still. We can attract, we can attract drivers all day long, but... You still have a, a, it's still difficult to get drivers to stay like they used to for 15, 20 years because it's such a transient market at the moment and there's so much available uh, in terms of opportunity. So we've done we've done so many things since, particularly since last year when the driver shortage really 
bit the business and we sat down as a team and said, right, what aren't we doing? You know, I know we're doing a lot to attract and retain drivers, but what aren't we doing? Um, and some things were softer stuff that we did, uh, you know, with like more meetings to engage with them, uh, revamping all the driver facilities, um, like little gestures every every month where you'll get a, an email on the last Friday of the month with a cost of coffee voucher to say, go and get a coffee on us. Or in the summer, it was cold drinks at depots. It was like a list of, a long list of things that we were doing just to try and keep engagement levels up. But the fundamental thing for me was that pay wasn't enough to attract and retain drivers. So we were losing too many drivers from the sector into other, into other jobs and we weren't bringing them in the other end either. Yeah. Now I have a lot of people who, who are saying to me, you know, I, w- I want to become a driver. How do I do it? Um, is Abby running any schemes? And, you know, that we're, we're made up to be in those type of things. So there's still a lot to do because I think, you know, there's this campaign now around driver facilities in the, in the country. Some conversations we have with customers, some are outstanding. They, they provide great facilities. Some, you know, they're not, they're genuinely not fit for, for a dog. But they no. think it's okay for the driver to use that that facility and it, it's just the mentality of customers is uh beyond me and service stations as well you know the price of to park a hdv in a service station and the service level that you get is disgusting so i think yeah. there's a lot there's a lot in terms of just giving them that basic facilities because they've been out in the road for a long time mm. you want to stop have a nice hot shower and a clean clean area nice hot mm. meal you know that's the basics yeah exactly and and healthy healthy meal as well I, i've got a real axe to grind with the service stations i um i had i had um uh mike dorber who heads up navsis uh, i don't know if you come across navsis the freight crime um they're um he, he sort of heads up the freight crime and that he talks about safe and secure parking and we're having a bit of a, a he's got to be a bit careful obviously as a servant officer but I've got a real axe to grind because I the, the issue we've got is we've got a real shortage of parking out there. Yeah. And then so what's happening is is the service the service stations are creaming it and delivering shit, creaming yeah. it. Totally. And yeah. that and that it's just wrong. It's just wrong. And and that I think that's gotta be really high. Like like you say, we've got you know, we've got big schemes on improving driver welfare facilities, but someone's got to start holding that those guys to account because they're 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 creaming money in. And and really just delivering an awful level of quality for people. And it it's can't just be not done. Right. You know, I know everybody says it. Oh, look at the constants, but yeah, look at the constants. It's it's across the channel, and the difference in quality of of service stations compared to the UK. It's, it's just nuts. Yeah, absolutely. I drove. But that's uh, not I the only the... issue. You know, the thing with the whole driver market, there's, there's no silver bullet for driver retention. No. It's just like a long list of engagement because the difficulty you have as well, the, 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 the long workers, aren't they? They're in a cab nine, 10, 11 hours a day. They're on their own. They're not, they're not in, a, in an office or in a warehouse or in a factory where you can feel the, the culture and you're saying hi every day, having a chat, you get to know them. You know, it's out on the road. You might not see them for, for weeks on end. So it is difficult always to engage a remote worker. And that's why this sector needs to work extremely hard if 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 we include Navi want to, want to get to a level of retention that's um probably normal for business yeah i think i think that's um it's, it's you make a really valid point around the beard loan loan and remote workers because yeah. to them once they're out on the road 
the, the the a small majority of their time is actually spent in the business isn't it or near yeah. the business physically you know so ultimately once they're behind the wheel it doesn't matter what color or livery is on the outside of that vehicle they're, they're sat at a steering wheel at a chair you know exactly. with pet with pedals at their feet and um i think a lot of that human i think there's a lot of work to do from a human interaction element between yeah. within within the business when we're when we're communicating but at the same time i think I, I i guess it's about having that responsibility around making sure the delivery locations the collection of delivery locations have got all the facilities which might sometimes not be in your control almost yeah. which is which is really the little tricky. things as well sometimes it's just when they do ring up at the office to chat to the planner or whoever it's that little conversation about how was the family how was your weekend how was this not like if you arrived on time, right, here's your next job, bang, go. There's no connection yeah. then. So yeah. we're lucky to have, you know, majority of the planners are really friendly and they get but but they, that's like it's the little the little things that, that will keep them engaged and feel part of the team when they're remote. Yeah, building building the rapport between the team yeah. members is really important, isn't it? Yeah. Oh fantastic. So um uh, it's a big thing on my agenda, rapport between drivers and their work colleagues. I think um I think it's something that we don't probably do talk or do enough about. And I think uh, that will make a big, big difference building rapport. And, and, and I, I say that in an offhand comment, because I think building rapport takes training and development. I think we need to like invest yeah. more in people to, to help sort of build those skills around building yeah. rapport. It's not natural to some people and particularly for planners, to be fair, they're, they're also under time pressure and you don't have time for small talk, but you know, that no. small talk is crucial sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, yeah, I guess I suppose as sort of leaders in the business, we've got to give them an opportunity to have the time to do to, to do the small things. Okay, mate. Well, so what, the next thing was around technology, and you've put in brackets Uber. So I'm I'm quite interested to hear sort of what 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 you mean what you mean from a technology point of view. Tell me a bit more about that, Steve. Um, customers will probably laugh when they when they watch this because we we bought out a system handheld system that gave them access to where where's my vehicle like 10 years ago when it was designed ourselves and it's outdated now and we're, we're you know it, it does probably what most of the companies are offering but when we talk about technology and particularly tms but um we had this conversation yesterday when we're looking at a new tms I, i'm more concerned about what will the customer experience from the new tms than i am in terms of what will the business experience because if i can order I order most things off Amazon and I don't order off Amazon because it's the cheapest. I order it because within about three clicks, I can get it next day and I can, I can get a notification of when it's on its way, when it's arrived and you know, one swipe and it's got all my, fa- my details. So I do it because it's easy and it's great communication. Same with Uber, you know, I don't want to be stood in the street with raining, waiting for a tax that may never come. I just want to go on my app, press it, sit in my comfy seat and then wait, wait for it to tell me he's outside and I go outside and it's prepaid, I don't have to get cash out. And it's all about ease and communication and tra- tracking where things are up to. So my my thing in our business is I say, well, you know, why can I order something for £1 and get, or, or pay a taxi driver £5, take me from A to B, and get that level of service and ease of use of an app but if one of our customers order 50 grand's worth of chocolate in the tanker, 
they have they probably have to phone the office to find out where it is and then we have to phone the driver to find out where he is and then you know i know we've got technology but it's never as good as uber and and uh, amazon so when i talk in our business about the system we're going to implement it's got to be uber amazon dpd level of, of service to the customer everything else behind that is great but the customer has to say that's probably the best app for both both uh, transports on the market um because and as i say why, why can you order something for a pound or five pound and get that level of service but not a full full uh, truckload fantastic and are you building are you building the software at the moment are you yeah well we've 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 started on one of our contracts um in terms of putting the system in and then the plan would be to roll it out across the whole company but we we, we really want to make it something you know future proof it and make it ahead of its time so it's going to take a lot of a lot of hard work and we don't want to rush it yeah. it's um you make me smile because I've been I've been looking at building a software solution for the for the compliance stuff that we do, and I don't mean that there's hundreds of tachograph analysis companies out there and that kind of yeah. thing, but there's there's not really anything. If you if you had a question like um, what you know this has happened, what should I do next, and something that tells you all the th- all the steps that you should follow from yeah. a compliance point of view, but. Um, Building software is really expensive. It's really expensive, and you've got no guarantees either. Of it. And it terrifies me. The idea of putting yeah. the system, you know, always terrifies me. But you've, you know, you've just got to go with it because you've got to stay ahead of the game. And yeah, it is that, terrifying. It is yeah. terrifying. And I think uh, the the issue I've got is, you know, I'll go to I'll go to the marketplace, and there's stuff that's been designed. I've, I've made even as a startup business. You know, when we talk about us comparative minnows compared to abby but i sort of look at the mistakes i've already made on getting off the shelf software and mm-hmm. i bought off the shelf software and it's kind of been designed for some another another thing and we're kind of trying to use it the best we can and it's like you're never going to get this sort of perfect no, you never perfect do, solution. No. No, so well, i think we'll, have, we'll we'll take an off shelf one and then we'll we'll work with that business which we have been to um to tailor it and really yeah. hopefully advance fantastic no fantastic that sounds i'll be interested to uh to hear more about that so the, the the final the final thing was around collaboration of audio so we've sort of discussed that a little bit with um the sort of alternative fuels do did you have anything else in mind when you were talking about collaboration of audios in the future steve no it's probably something that we've done through think logistics that was all about as well one of the other things was lots of people doing their own thing and delivering mixed messages or maybe duplicating effort and that's one of the things we did with think logistics was to say look why doesn't everyone present the same message um you can tailor it to your business but let's give a consistent message in a consistent way through one organization and as i say it's gone full circle now into gen it's formed into the, the new um generation logistics which we've said okay look we don't want think logistics and generation logistics so let's just put think logistics into generation which is again is just collaboration so we've, we've done it on attracting young people changing the perception i think the alternative fuel i think collaboration in the sector could be a really uh, game-changing initiative and you know the, the good old sharing the volume you know there's, there's plenty of opportunities where you don't have to be in the same sector 
but where people have resources not being utilised when others need it. You know, I've seen that so many times, particularly with parcel companies, you'll see them every day or a fleet of 50 units parked up. And then you go down the road and see a Hawley who's got 50 units parked up overnight when the, when the parcel company's using them. So I think there's there's more opportunity for the improving utilisation and reducing empty miles as well. Yeah, that sounds um, that sounds like a really a really positive move. Um, I think I think that's a I think it's it's nice to move people away from this silo. We, as an industry, we've been a little bit siloed, I think, previously, and it's good to start to get the collaboration and um, the uh, the dynamic thinking as well. And it goes to it goes along with what we were saying before about encouraging a more uh, diverse workforce in the logistics sector as well. I don't know if you I don't know if you read, but I read a book recently by Matthew Side called Rebel Ideas, which is about this thing called cognitive diversity. So we don't solve new problems with the same thinking. We kind of need people who all think differently about definitely. the same yeah. the same challenges to overcome solutions. Steve, you've been you've been an absolute gent, mate. Been an absolute gent. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your no busy problem, schedule please. to come and come and have a chat with uh, with me and have uh, you know share your insights with the listeners. I think they'll have found it really really interesting. So, uh, listeners, I hope you've really enjoyed having listened to Steve. Um, connect with him on LinkedIn, Steve Granite, um, and uh, yeah, I really hope you've enjoyed it. And we'll see you uh, on a future episode. I really hope you loved today's episode. And if you did, please make sure you subscribe and listen out for future episodes too. Please do share it across your social media channels. We hope to reach more and help more people. If you want to find out more about me, my name's Pete Rushmer. You'll find me across any social media channel and my business, Flagship Partners. And we're your partners in success across your business. Thank you. See you again soon.